0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have some wonderful
1: readings today for this Holy Family Sunday. They speak to us of biblical family values. Now, I'm going to suggest to you these might not be the family values that spring to your mind. We tend to be rather sentimental when it comes to families, especially this time of year. And there's nothing wrong with sentimentality in itself, but to tell you the truth, it doesn't have a lot to do with what the Bible thinks about families. As we've come to expect, there's something harsh, blunt, blunt, Demanding about the Bible's attitude in this regard. Take a look now at our first reading for today's liturgy. It's from the first book of Samuel. By the way, I've often told people, if you want to start with the reading of the Bible, you haven't been at it for a long time, begin with the the books of Samuel. They're very rich, full of great characters, lots of adventure. Well, this is taken now from the very beginning of the first book of Samuel. And the main character is Samuel's mother, Hannah. In this first chapter, we're told that Hannah went up every year to the temple to pray, begging God for a child, for she was barren. Now, to the present day, of course, if a woman really wants to have a child and she can't, it's a source of great anxiety, of great psychological suffering. But can I suggest that in biblical times, it was even more so. There was something for a woman devastating about not having a child. And so Hannah goes up every year, and she begs God. Well, in this scene, she's praying so passionately and with so many tears that Eli, the priest, comes in, and he assumes that she's drunk, and he upbraids her. Listen. How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine, woman. Now, can you imagine a more miserable scenario for poor Hannah? Here she is in the temple praying desperately for a child. And the priest himself comes in and assumes she's drunk and publicly upbraids her. It's testament to her strength that she protests. Listen. No, my Lord, I'm a woman deeply troubled. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And here's what she's been saying. O Lord of hosts, if you only will look on the misery of your servant, you will give to her a male child. And then... She will set before you this child as a Nazarite until the day of his death. See what she's praying. Lord, give me a child. Give me a male child. And I will give the child back to you. What's a Nazarite? It was probably the ancient Israelite version of a monk. A Nazarite was someone who was utterly devoted to God. Extraordinary prayer then, isn't it? Lord, give me a child, and in gratitude I will give the child back to you. Well, the Lord heard her prayer, and in due time she conceived, and she bore a son whom she called Samuel, which means in Hebrew, asked of the Lord. And when the child was weaned, when he was still very young, his mother brought him to the temple. And fulfilled her vow. She gave Samuel to Eli the priest. She told him to raise the child in the temple as a man of God. And we know that Samuel grew to be one of the most powerful and important prophets in Israel. A figure around whom much of the story turns. Can you imagine how emotionally painful this must have been for Hannah. For years, she begged God, give me a child. She's inspired to make this vow, and then the child comes, the child of her deepest longing. Mothers speak of that incredibly intense connection they feel to a child. And then she has the courage to fulfill her vow and give this baby back to God. With that story in mind, with all of its emotional overtones, look at the very well-known gospel for today, the story of the finding in the temple. Jesus has been up to Jerusalem with his family, and now they're traveling home. And he should have been with them, in a kind of caravan with a number of family members. Instead, we know he stayed behind and began debating with the elders and masters of the law in the temple. Begin now to feel the feelings of Mary and Joseph as they discover he's missing. Oh, talk to parents about that. When a child is gone missing, when a child is lost, how agonizing that is. And we hear now, as Luke tells the story, that for three days they looked for him. How dreadful that is. The child's lost for a half hour. Parents are distraught. The child's lost for a few hours. They'll call the police. Imagine three days they're looking for their child. When they finally find him, they must have been at the end of their ropes emotionally. They've spent three nights imagining the worst possible scenarios. They finally find him in the temple, and so with completely understandable exasperation, Mary upbraids him. Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Well, right. Right. Listen to Jesus' response. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, I submit to you, there's something terrible in that response. It gives us pause, doesn't it? How could he say that to his mother? Doesn't he appreciate the emotional trauma that he's caused? Now, here's, I think, what the church wants us to see in juxtaposing these two stories and how it's teaching us Biblical family values. Friends, both stories of Hannah and Mary stir up for us powerfully a mother's emotions. Legitimately, powerfully. This anxiety of both Hannah and Mary is real, powerful. But what's being taught? It must not be the determining element in the lives of their sons. Let me say it again. The sentiment of the two mothers here, as powerful as it is, must not be the determining element in the lives of their sons. What we see here, if you will, is a dark side of sentiment. Call it, if you want, sentimentality. Which can just be another form of self-regard. What's the purpose of a family? To be a forum in which all the members of the family discern and find their vocation. A family... It can be a place where powerful emotions are expressed. Fine. It can be a place where deep personal bonds are formed. Good. But listen, neither the emotions nor the bonds are absolute. In fact, both must give way to what is primary, namely the discovery and cultivation of mission. Both boys in these stories, Samuel and Jesus, belong to God and to God's work. And their mothers let them go. Now there's biblical family values. Both children belong to God. And their mothers have the good grace to let them go, find their mission. Serve God as they're meant to serve God. Given this biblical reading, given this sense of biblical family value, it's easy to see what goes wrong with families. When something other than God, pleasure, pride, the success of the children, the working out of parental frustration, something other than God, Becomes central, that's when the family falls apart. That's when the family gets into trouble. We all know this from our experience, don't we? Dad might be working out his unfulfilled dreams through his son. And his son's success, that becomes the center of his preoccupations. All of his feelings, all his passion, all his energy is focused now around the success of his son so that he might achieve, he, the dad, might achieve some unfulfilled dream. Maybe a mother, out of pride, drives a daughter to perfection in all things. And she doesn't notice in the process that her daughter is falling apart. The mother is being driven by her own pride, her own self-regard, and she's working this out through her daughter. Or, to maintain a superficial peace, the dysfunctional behavior of children isn't addressed. Oh, we get along fine in this family. Everything's fine. And in the meantime, the kids are falling apart. The maintenance of a superficial peace is more important than the flourishing of the children. Sometimes, you know, it works the other way. Parents can be used by children as a source of money or emotional security or something else. What's the point here? The point is that the family is ultimately a forum for the cultivation and discovery of one's mission before God. Parents, stop living through your kids. Stop abusing and manipulating them emotionally. Kids, stop manipulating your parents. All of you allow the other members of the family to find their place in the temple. What are we all finally about? Discovering what it is that God wants us to do. Discovering what the Father's mission for us is. And the family is the place where that happens, which means sometimes at the heart of a family is this great and wonderful and graceful act of letting go. Keep Hannah and keep Mary in mind. Both let their sons go. And in that, they allow them to find their mission. Now there is the biblical family value.
0: And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. 449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.